Boker Tov, everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. It's a brand new week. It's a uh, it's a brand new world. Glad you're here. It is Parasha Beha Olotka. It's one of the more easier ones to pronounce. <laughs> Beha Olotka. We're glad you're here. This is the book of Numbers. And we are in chapter 8 of the book of Numbers. Blessings to everyone. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. This is the day in which we get to officially and formally uh, dedicate our historic mikvah, the really the first of its kind uh, in the United States, uh, in the world, uh, in modern history. First of its kind meaning, not the first of its kind in terms of design. There are lots of wonderful mikvot out there, but this is the first ever fully kosher mikvah for a synagogue that believes in Yeshua that's to be used for family purity. That's that's a first. There's nobody out there who believes in Yeshua that, that uh, practices family purity, or I'm, I'm talking about on an institutional level. There might be, there possibly might be uh, families out there that do so that believe in Yeshua, but um, they, of course, would be far and few between. But institutionally, there's no one who promotes that. And I promise you there's no one who promotes conversion to Judaism for those who believe in Yeshua. There's nobody who promotes that. So this, this mikvah is for that purpose. And, of course, it's for, for uh, use for um, Yom Tov and Shabbat and all those kinds of things. It's just amazing. So this is the day that we get to, um, uh, we get to dedicate it. We get to... Uh, present it as it were to Hashem and bless Him for it. It's just uh, amazing. Looking forward to that happening at 2 o'clock. And I'm sure that Couture will be Facebook living it. Yes, she just said so. Be on Sarshalom Facebook page. Yes, we'll Facebook live it. It'll be beautiful. It'll be amazing. So, Parsha Beha Olotka. It's hard for me to say all of a sudden. Um, and this is going to be a wonderful study today. We're on page 775, and uh, we're going to be reading the first Aliyah today, and then we'll be getting into some insights. So, welcome. Glad you're here. So many folks watching from across the Fruited Plain. Welcome to our uh, Antarctica folks. It's really hard to do a mikvah in Antarctica because everything is frozen. Um, but, Baruch Hashem. All right, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying... Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you kindle the lamps toward the face of the menorah, shall the seven lamps cast light. Aaron did so. Toward the face of the menorah, he kindled its lamps, as Adonai had commanded Moshe. This is the workmanship of the menorah, hammered out gold from its base to its flower. It is hammered out according to the vision that Adonai showed Moshe, so did he make the menorah. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and purify them. So shall you do to them to purify them. Sprinkle upon them water of purification. Let them pass a razor over their entire flesh. Let them immerse their garments, and they shall become pure. They shall take a young bull and its meal offering for fine flour mixed with oil. And a second young bull shall you take as a sin offering. You shall bring the Levites before the tent of meeting, and you shall gather together the entire assembly of the children of Israel. You shall bring the Levites before Adonai, and the children of Israel shall lean their hands upon the Levites. 
Aaron shall wave the Levites as a wave serves before Adonai from the children of Israel, and they shall remain to perform the service of Adonai. The Levites shall lean their hands upon the head of the bulls. You shall make one a sin offering and one an elevation offering to Adonai to provide atonement for the Levites. You shall stand the Levites before Adonai before his sons and wave them as a wave offering before Adonai. So shall you separate the Levites from the, among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall remain mine. That's the end of our first reading today. We're going to get right to our insights and discuss a few things. I want to say that uh, our insights today are going to focus on kindling the light in, in our souls and kindling the light in each other's souls. And I want to lamb back on something that I said yesterday at the Drosh. If you didn't see the Drosh yesterday, I thought it was particularly insightful. Um, and I always say that. It's not because I gave it. But I, I think that the information is particularly insightful and helps us to, on the one, on, on one hand, see, um, see a, a deeper insight into the relationship of Jacob and his wives that I don't think that anybody... Or at least I can say, just from my experience, no one has ever gotten that deep into the topic behind the scenes um, to really understand the dynamics of what was going on. And, and as you saw yesterday, probably I would imagine that what you learned in the Drosh yesterday is probably the exact opposite of what you've been taught, of what I've been taught, as I said many times yesterday that um, there was all this discord and drama, and it was just horrible. Um, turns out it wasn't. But the other aspect, aside from just getting into those dynamics and learning more about it, what I drew out of it was the immense love and compassion that everybody had for everybody in that family. The wives had for each other, which, again, they were all sisters, had the same father. Uh, Jacob had for his wives, although Jacob, uh, to be fair to the women, Jacob kind of lacked a little bit of compassion in his department. He was struggling with having compassion for Leah, for instance. Um, but as I said yesterday, everybody has their faults. But the real issue was is that everybody had love for everybody, and everybody was focused on the mission, and everybody was suppressing their self-interest. They were suppressing their their human animalistic desire to be, uh, you know, the, the chief among everybody, to, to have all the blessing. Just like I said yesterday, you know, Leah was pregnant. She discerned that she was pregnant with another son, and she prayed that God would change it to a daughter so that Rachel would not be, would have an equal share, as it were. And what does this have to do with the topic that we're going to be talking about today? Well, as I said yesterday, we have a world that is just full of uh, mayhem and, uh, and, and seemingly that uh, disorder and disunity and uh, anger and hatred and division seem to be the order of the day. And so what is the antidote to that? The antidote to that is to do the exact opposite is to show love and to show consideration. And Hashem reminded me this morning that there's two, the, the two great commandments in the Torah. There's lots of commandments in the Torah, and there's some that are very important, and et cetera, et cetera. But the two, the top two, the ones that when Yeshua was asked, and, you know, he was asked for a reason, if you think about it for a moment, 
somebody's asking Yeshua, you know, what's the greatest commandments? Because they, they want to know. It's not, not to discount the others, but what are the two top things? Or, and they asked him, what's the top thing that we should be focused on? What should be, we should really, really strive for? That frankly, everything else kind of falls under that. And I was just reminded this morning that those two things that Yeshua pointed out and that have been pointed out in Jewish literature, Yeshua was simply confirming what had already been spoken, actually, uh, by the sages, because as I say countless times, there's nothing new in the New Testament, that we have to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. We have to really love God, sincerely love Him. He has to be really the focus of our life. And we have to love human beings. We have to love our neighbor. People always wonder, well, who's our neighbor? Well, it, 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 ultimately, the, our neighbor is, is the, the man or the woman, the human, the human being, standing to your right or to your left, in front of you, whatever. We have to really love people and really care about them, really, ha really have compassion upon them. And I was having a conversation with uh, one of my Talmudim. We were ha actually having a big conversation, and one of them said something. I won't point out Hugh because I don't have the don't have the permission to say that, but they were saying that they were witnessing to someone and they realized that they came to the realization that in witnessing to this person, they, they didn't really have true compassion for them in the sense that they wanted them to become a Jew or wanted them yeah, wanted them to enter the covenant for their own sake. But rather, it was really their desire to win the argument. And, uh, of course, I can relate to that. Uh, anybody who's listening to me, if you're honest, can relate to that. That sometimes when we're trying to encourage people to embrace Torah, Judaism, and Yeshua, um, sometimes, perhaps most of the time, it's just because we're trying to win the argument. We're trying to win the theological battle. But we're not really thinking necessarily about their benefit and their life. It's like when we say, you know what, we need Mashiach to come. And when we say that, a lot of times we say that because we see Target being burned down. We see the rioting. We see the this. We see the that. We see... Um, you know, the all the negativity that's going on, the pandemics and all this kind of stuff. The, and then we think about our own life. You know, I've got this going on in my life. I've got that going on in my life. I'm, I'm short cash on this. My relationship is bad over here. My children need Yeshua. You know what? I need Mashiach to come. But again, the sages warn us that that is self-interest. We should want... Hashem to come for uh, the sake of heaven. The sake of heaven, Devorah asked. The sake of heaven just simply means because it's God's will, because this is what Hashem wants, because Hashem is concerned with humanity. In other words, we want Mashiach to come not to relieve me of stress, not to relieve me of some kind of anxiety or pain, not to relieve the world of all the mayhem, but we want Mashiach to come because the, the world needs to be in covenant with God for their own sake. And most of the time when we're talking about Mashiach coming, that's not what we're talking about. 
So what's the antidote to all this? The antidote to all this boils down to loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And it's very, it's very, it's very uh, easy. And I'm talking to myself here. It's very easy to become jaded. It's very easy to become um, cynical. It's very, very challenging. It's even more challenging, oddly enough, the more you become uh, intrinsically involved in quote-unquote ministry work. It's just challenging. It's kind of like the person who wants to become a nurse. Typically it's a female, but some, you know, plenty of males become nurses too, so I don't want to make it a sexist thing, but... Usually the person is is thinking as they're I want to become a nurse because I want to help people. I want to treat people. I want to I, I see myself serving humanity and helping cure their illness, helping the doctors, whatever. That's usually what happens. People become a nurse. And then what happens is once they become a nurse and they're having to deal with the patients, and some of the patients don't have patience, if you know what I mean. And the patients, uh, they get jaded because you're dealing with people, you're dealing with humanity, you tell somebody to do something, and they don't do it, and then they come back to you and say, oh, woe is me, I'm still sick, and you say, well, did you do the something I told you to do? No. Hello. And you can see that a lot of people in that profession become jaded, they, be, they, they become cynical, they become, they lose their, their love. Now, it doesn't happen to everybody. Somebody out there right now may be a nurse and you might think, Rabbi, that's nonsense. It never happens to me. I wake up every morning. I go to my office. I go to my hospital, wherever it is I work. I see every patient. It's like, a, it's like my first day of work. And I love every single one of them like I love myself. Every time I stick a needle in them, I just am thanking the Lord that I have a chance to help them. And everything is wonderful. And I never, ever, ever get cynical. If that's you, God bless you. Please make a YouTube video and tell somebody how to do it. Now, it's not limited to nurses. I just use as an example. This could happen if you're somebody who fixes shoes or repairs shoes for a living, if you're a cobbler. I'm not talking about the dessert. I'm talking about the shoes. If you're an auto mechanic, this happens. No matter what you're doing, serving people, you can become jaded in that community. So what do we have to do? We have to, re we have to revive ourselves. We revive our love for each other. We have to understand... Um, how to focus on the individual. That's a, a lot to do with what these opening comments. Our purpose. What is our purpose in life? This is from the K.O. Tumash introduction. Tepeha olatka aloteka. Beha aloteka. Sorry about that. And this is what it says. It says that the power shot Behauloteka opens with the commandment of kindling the, the candelabra, kindling the menorah. It says, Aaron is told to kindle the lamps until the wicks catch the flame <coughs> and burn on their own. And it says, and it goes on to say, as we shall see, this is an allegory for our purpose on earth. What is our purpose on earth? This is something that we need to remind ourselves. What is our purpose on earth? Someone said, by the way, that um, the football coach, the famous football coach, whose name suddenly escapes me, Lombardi, Vince Lombardi. They said that um, 
every time his Packers would lose a game. Now, these are professional athletes. These are professional football players, American football. That every time his Packers would lose a game, the next day or the whatever, whenever the next time he had a team meeting, he would stand up in front of the group and he would say, he would hold up a football and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would proceed to take his team um, through the fundamentals of the game. Now, these are professionals. These are men who've been playing football, most of them since they were little bitty boys playing in Little League. Professionals. These people get paid lots of money to play this game. It's, it's, they know what a football is. And so he would stand up in front of the team and say, you know, we lost the game yesterday. Gentlemen, this is a football. What does that teach us? It was a brilliant concept. What does it teach us? It teaches that very often when we're professionals, we know what we're doing. We know... We're, we're the errands. We're professional priests. We are lighting things. We're serving God in the tabernacle all the time. Sometimes we need to take a seat and we need to say, gentlemen, this is Torah. So it says, our purpose on the earth. What's our purpose on the earth? What are we here for? What's all of this about? Why do we do Torah to begin with? The answer is, it's about God and it's about other people. This is, this is such an appropriate discussion today with the opening of the mikvah. What's the mikvah all about? The mikvah is about God and it's about people. The mikvah is beautiful, but it's not something that we should be braggadocious about. It's amazing. It's a miracle that we have it. I'm telling you, it's a miracle. Ladies and gentlemen, 10 years ago, Shoshana will testify to this. Keturah was was there. She'll testify to this. Ten years ago, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. Ten years ago, we were believing God that we would be able to have the rent to pay on the building. It was month to month, sometimes week to week. Now I'm looking at a mikvah project. Forget the building. Forget our, 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 our big building over here and all the stuff that's going on over here. I'm looking at a mikvah that um, cost a few dollars. I'm talking a six-figure. Six-figure plus. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay? How are we able to do that? I don't even know. But it's about God and it's about people. Why is it about God? It's about God because it's about how we get into the water and we, can, and, and we transform our life. You know, it used to be back in the old religious system that I came through that people say, you get baptized once. Can I just tell you how utterly ridiculous that is? Ladies and gentlemen, I visit the mikvah once a week. I could probably go every day. Uh, it's about renewal and, re and renewing our commitment to God and, f and, and constantly repairing those things that are broken in our life in our relationship with Him. And it's an ongoing process that, by the way, will never end. I could never be mikvahed enough. 
the mikvah is about people. Because even about family purity, it's about peace between a husband and a wife. It's about bringing children into the world. So therefore, it's about people. But then the mikvah is also about conversion. It's about taking people from outside the covenant and bringing them into the covenant. And this is the purpose. This is the our purpose on earth, on earth. It says to kindle the flame of divine consciousness is our purpose on on earth until all of created reality, all of created reality, say all, all of created reality, not just the Jews, not just our family and our friends and, and, and so forth, but all of created reality. Every human being, by the way, is a part of created reality. It says here, our purpose on earth is to bring the flame of divine consciousness unto, unto all of created reality until it all burns on its own with an enthusiasm required to fulfill its divine purpose. In this sense, kindling the candelabra encapsulates the entire purpose of creation to make the world into God's home. That means we have to be focused on people. We have to be focused on what people need. We have to be focused on helping people. That means being focused on the mission. You know, the, the, the wives of Jacob, those four sisters, if they had been uh, concerned about their own needs and desires... If Rachel had left because she was upset or Leah had got upset, so she just left the family, then the 12 tribes would have never come to be. But everybody was involved for the good of the mission. They were all in it for the good of the mission. What did Leah did not want to marry Esau. Why? Because he was hairy? No. She didn't want to marry Esau for one reason, and that was that Esau was not a godly person. He was an idolater, and Leah wanted to have, she desired so much to be one of the matriarchs. And she knew that wasn't her destiny, or at least that's not what she understood to be her destiny. So God transcended his own law. Didn't say he abrogated his law. He simply transcended his law so that Jacob could marry sisters so that a woman's heartfelt prayer through tears because the prayer was a desire for the mission for the sake of heaven so she could be a part of it. Otherwise, it would have been forbidden. Someone says, well, does that mean we can go out and marry sisters? No, you're not giving birth to 12 tribes. So no, you don't get that special consideration. You're not a prophet. You're not a prophetess. Okay, you don't have books in the Bible. There's not stories in the Bible written about you. So no, you don't have that special privilege and neither do I. What I'm simply saying is that sometimes God transcends his laws. It's just like he, trans he's, he said, Aaron, you and your sons will be priests. And then along comes the grandson, Phineas. And God transcends his law and says, okay, Phineas, you too will be a priest forever. Originally, it didn't apply to him. 
in the same way that this happened to Samuel. Samuel was a Levite, and yet we find Samuel offering up sacrifices on altars. God transcended that and said, okay, you're a Levite, but I'm going to transcend that and make you a priest because you've been dedicated to my altar. So, um, another aspect of this from the Kale Tumash says, We can begin to understand this by recalling that the divine mission to make the world into God's home applies to all aspects of our reality. Indeed, the only way it can be accomplished is if we transform all aspects of life into facets and elements of our relationship with God. It is not enough to feel close to God or to teach others to feel close to God when we or they are explicitly involved in holy acts, that is, learning Torah and fulfilling God's commandments. Divine consciousness must permeate our mundane pursuits as well. So our closeness, to God, our closeness to God is not limited to our activities on Shabbat. It's not limited to Torah study. It's not limited to prayer. Our closeness to God and our spreading divine consciousness has to affect every single aspect of our life. All the mundane things that we do. We have to live a life of God for God in every aspect of our life. That is completely different than most theological systems. Most theological systems are limited to a time and a place. It's, you know, you go to, you go to services on this day, and then, then, then you go to work on this day, and those two things aren't necessarily related. This is why it's so absurd when people say things like, well, the Jews worship on Saturday. That gives rise to the Gentile idea that, you know what, you can have a Sabbath any day of the week. Because if you're just going to pick a day, well, just pick a day and just make that your day. It doesn't matter which day as long as you have the time. The reason that that doesn't work in the Jewish frame of mind is we don't think about our service to God and, and with reference to time. In other words, I worship God from 6 a.m. on this day to 6 p.m. on this day. And the rest of the days of the week is kind of like... I'm not exactly doing that. So Jews don't, the reason that you say Jews don't worship, or they, you can't say Jews worship on Saturdays because the reality is we worship God every day. The Shabbat, it really isn't about that. The Shabbat is a sanctification of time that has been set apart by God whereby we can enter into the a, a foretaste of the Lam Habah. But in reality, our, our service to God is not limited by time, nor is it limited to activity. We need to be operating in holiness even when we're, we're at work. So it says, this attitude towards life can be acquired through practice, by training ourselves or others to overcome the natural tendency of material reality, to obscure God's presence in our lives, divine life then becomes second nature, ultimately as, as natural as the material outlook was before. So it goes on to say here, this is the inner meaning of kindling a wick until it burns on its own. We must strive to refine ourselves, others, 
and the world around us until everyone and everything's intrinsic divine nature is revealed and therefore burns with divine consciousness as part of its own inherent nature. Only when we've accomplished this have we truly and fully made this world into God's home. That is so, so good. We have to um, continue to refine ourselves. Refinement, ladies and gentlemen, is an ongoing process. We, um, we continually, and as Zakin Rayford would say, contiguously refine ourselves, and it never ends. Um, to, to put it uh, another way here, in our... Uh, let me share this insight, actually. We may get to... We're going to continue discussing more of this lighting of the, of the candelabra probably tomorrow. But let me just share this thought. This actually is uh, a leftover thought from Naso. But it's really interesting. It says, Through the ordeal of drinking the bitter waters... This is talking about the Sota... Through the ordeal of drinking the bitter waters, the innocent Sota actually gains. She will bear children, that is, easily. Nevertheless, the priest does not inform the woman of this potential benefit before she drinks. This mirrors the process of teshuva. When a person repents, he is not only spiritually cleansed from his prior sin, but furthermore, he reaches an even higher spiritual status than before his sinful act. Nevertheless, this benefit is not offered to prospective sinners. If somebody says, I'm going to sin, but I'll repent later, then his teshuva is not effectual. The wonderful thing about refinement is, is that people think of themselves, well, I've, I've, I have something I need to work on, and I feel bad about that, and therefore I feel bad about the fact that I'm having to, re- to work on it. In other words, we think of it negatively. But the actuality is, is that when we come to the point where we've re- maybe we we're that nurse and we've reached a, a, a level in our life where we see our patients and we kind of do an, an, an inner eye roll and we just don't have, we just lack the love and compassion to help them. But we, we do our job. We go through the motions, but, you know, it's the, we just know the compassion is not there. And then we feel bad about that. The beautiful thing about that is, is when we recognize that fact and we begin to work on that, then Hashem is able and willing and desirous to take us to a next level. And let's not forget that the sages point out that when a man or woman comes to refine themselves and wants to make themselves better, then they receive help from heaven. End of our Aliyah today. Look forward to seeing all of you a little bit later as we uh, will be doing the dedication at 2 o'clock Central Standard Time here in Los Estados Unidos. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us, even our international peeps. Hopefully you'll be able to join us. If not, you can at least uh, go back and look at it later. It might, I'm not sure by 2 o'clock it might be, I don't know how late it will be in, in uh, South Africa or Antarctica. But um, in any case, hopefully you'll be able to join us. So blessings, everybody. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a great and amazing day. Shalom Aleichem.